what are our measuring sticks at our institution for these different groups of students. So not only using that predictive setup for who's coming, but who's going to stay here and who's going to add to our community. Yeah. And you can kind of think of those different factors as like signals. That's another way that I've heard that framed is, is signals of their behavior from whatever sources you can find. But the frontier of predictive analytics today is in machine learning. Welcome to the EduData podcast, a part of the Enrollify podcast network. This is your weekly guide to the data driving higher education. No PhD required here. Our weekly episodes break down complex data issues and ideas into easy to understand takeaways that higher ed pros can digest and immediately put to use on their campuses. And we're your hosts. I'm Timothy Davis, an engagement analyst at Element 451. And I'm Jamie Boggs, also an engagement analyst on the data team at Element 451. Welcome to the EduData podcast. Welcome to the EduData podcast, everyone, where you can learn higher ed data a little bit at a time. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Timothy. That is my favorite way to learn anything. So that's why I love these small doses of data. Very digestible. And today we're going to talk about the evolution of data usage, specifically using data for predictive analytics in higher ed. This conversation's partly inspired by a LinkedIn article I read by Tom Green called The Evolution to Revolution, Predictive Analytics in Higher Education. Timothy, you and I are somewhat uh, from different generations of higher ed, not to date myself, but uh, I was in an era where we didn't have everything that was digital at our fingertips. So I'm interested to see if we have kind of differing thoughts on where higher ed has come from and where it's going as far as these analytics go. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot has changed just over in, you know, the short years that I've been in this industry, you know, uh, the pace of technology is so rapid that we, um, we move on to new technologies so quickly. But yeah, absolutely. Let's start at the beginning. So tell us, you know, way back in your day, Jamie, uh, what did, uh, what did predictive analytics look like? After I applied for college and I stone and chisel, I, uh, <laughs> not, not quite that old, but yeah, most of it was using demographics. We would, we would look back and uh, just kind of look at what high school you're from, what's your class rank, what's your parents' income, and try to predict enrollment and then ultimately success based on that. Now, we did use a lot of GPA and test scores, but of course, over the course of time, we learned that GPA is so relative to, to schools that that's a little bit tougher to gauge folks on. And now a lot of schools are making test scores optional. So that is not as universal of a data point for us to be to be looking for. And basically, we were looking for single indicators. What is the thing that tells us the most about potential students coming to our institution? Is it, does ACT score matter the most? Is it their family's income? Is it their zip code? Whatever demographic information we can have. And obviously, we, we can discuss the differences between demographic data and behavior data on down the line. But uh, these dimensions that we're discussing, we were just looking for the magic elixir of let's get everybody from this population to come and then they'll be successful at our school. So uh, we weren't including all factors by any means. We weren't looking at uh, now you can bring in factors of online activity, page views, like we have those kinds of factors as well as community engagement, which we have seen has a big impact on success in, in higher ed. So uh, mixing and choosing between campus data. We didn't have a lot of data available to us because it wasn't, we, we couldn't track it with 
Google Analytics and other tools that we have at our fingertips now. So a lot of guesswork and really looking for those one or two factors that were dimensions that were demographic in nature that helped us to predict enrollment success. So obviously where we sit now, not the best, but that's where we started out. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of use what you have at the time and you continue to iterate for sure. But yeah, I mean, that kind of perspective was trying to say like, let's look at everyone from a single frame of reference and see if we can find the thing that is the best predictor. But obviously that has some limitations when you look at that sort of single indicator, independent variable approach. But the limitation, of course, with that single indicator or independent variable approach is that you end up with a lot of edge cases, right? Students with higher independent scores on this or that would drop out than when they should have persisted and and folks with lower scores would do great. Um, So basically just the accuracy of that method was really low. And that's when we started to combine multiple variables with like linear regressions. And this allowed uh, students to be grouped into personas or different frames of references, if you will, to kind of use that analysis based on the combinations of variables that were most relevant to them. And then an analyst would be in the middle there with some some deep knowledge of the institution and how it functioned to try to determine what factors were the most important and how they should be weighed within the regression. And that's also about the time that we were able to incorporate some more data types, right? We could start... um, recording more than just the simple demographics and the the high school transcript stuff you know we could maybe get more information more data from the student's application um, or from different forms that they might have filled out in the recruiting process Um, the enrichment of data as a practice also started to to come out around that time and so just more variables were able to be considered and that was obviously a better approach you're taking in more data you're using more data and you're looking at combinations of those variables. So that worked a little bit better than what we had. So then we started trying to apply that to student success. What students can we see that are going to come here and likely have a hard time? We see uh, we have this population we think will do really well, but what about everybody else? What interventions could help them? And, And let's measure those as well. Let's measure the interventions with the combinations of student Uh, data points that we have coming in to see who's going to do well, to see who's going to need that extra support and how should success be measured differently based on the different types of students that we're bringing in? Are we just looking at everybody to uh, in a binary way? Yes or no, you've retained to your second year, or are we looking at uh, them getting involved? How often they go home on the weekends? What, what are our measuring sticks at our institution for these different groups of students? So not only using that predictive setup for who's coming, but who's going to stay here and who's going to add to our community. Yeah. And you can kind of think of those different factors as like signals. That's another way that I've heard that framed is, is signals of their behavior from whatever sources you can find. Yeah. If we can find out, um, you know, how busy campus is on the weekends and kind of anticipate, you know, uh, how, how engaged people are in the campus or in the campus community versus how many students are just going home. Yeah. That can be a very valid signal and a really interesting one that you bring up there. But the frontier of predictive analytics today is in machine learning. And so like one example is the neural network approach that creates relationships between all of the available data it's given to try to accomplish the weighing of those variables itself. Um, the analyst can weigh in on that, but the, the neural network is really responsible for not just determining uh, the regression, but um, the positive or negative influence of all of the factors that have been recorded. 
And if you have that infrastructure in place, these models can grow and iterate in real time as new data is congested. So instead of scoring a student against only historical data, maybe having like a yearly process where we run our regression once a year and then for our incoming class or our active term, we're running those folks against only the historic data, students can be scored against current incoming active data as well if you have that, again, if you have that infrastructure in place. And the capacity of these models is also really vast, meaning we can give it data from as many sources as we can find, bringing in as many signals as we can find. And yeah, in other episodes, Jamie, as you've mentioned, we'll talk about behavioral data, but I'll mention it here. Behaviors can be factored in and weighed, giving a more rounded view of that student beyond just the demographics that are recorded about them. And right, as more data is collected, these predictive processes can be applied all the way through the student journey and even into alumni and giving, and even back up the funnel, back the other way um, into the prospect and suspects phases when we're working on really minimal data even, and, and perhaps only a few behavioral signals trying to predict who, who the most active prospects will be and, and where to allocate our admissions and recruiting um, efforts as well. Yeah, you mentioned this being the frontier. We're past the point of growing linearly in the way that we use data. This is exponential growth in, and now that we're really starting to incorporate machine learning, which has been around for a bit, but I, I just see this going so quickly and pretty soon we're going to be able to just throw all the data in a big pile and see what comes out and it's going to be super high quality. So really excited for the future of this, but we need to be prepared. We need to be gathering, cleaning that data, looking for ways to gather more data and just making sure that we're taking an intentional approach of what data to capture and where to keep that to make sure everybody's comfortable with what we have, but getting the best use out of it too. Absolutely. And I think another another way that we could talk about AI here um, is is from the generative AI perspective, right? The The skill gap in knowing um, and being being prepared to do analyst work and then prepared to do machine learning work um, is really vast. That's a steep learning curve with a lot of specialized knowledge um, that that people you know get master's degrees or doctor degrees in, right? But with generative AI and um, the sort of generalized knowledge that are available in like large language models, the ability of more under resourced institutions uh, will be will be greatly increased as they can augment their own abilities with AI and solve these problems faster and implement these processes themselves rather than rely on uh, outside or third party folks to do it for them. And that is uh, going to do it today for our conversation on the EduData podcast. We have some really exciting topics in the coming weeks, so make sure you subscribe and uh, check back in to get the daily dose or the weekly dose of data a little bit at a time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the EduData podcast brought to you by Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher ed marketers. If you have any data questions or topics you'd like to send our way, we would love to hear from you. In the meantime, go check out the rest of Enrollify's extensive podcast catalog for more insightful tools and ideas. Make sure to join us back here every Friday for more of the EduData podcast, learning higher ed data a little at a time.